0: I would like to thank you all for being here. And I also would like to thank the previous speakers for their interesting presentations. I will try to keep up with the good work. The title of my research is Collective Memory and Conflict Representation, War and Peace in Colombian Museums. This was part of my master's thesis for Leiden University, and it was supervised by Nana Lee. In this, I analyzed two cultural institutions that have addressed the Colombian internal art conflict. In this presentation, I will give an overview of my research, but before delving into this topic, I will first address briefly the war in itself to explain what study, why such study is relevant nowadays. So let's cross the Atlantic and go to Latin America. Guerrilla groups started to emerge throughout Latin America since the 1950s as a reaction against dictatorships, social inequality, and foreign interventionism. As you can see in the slide, this was a regional phenomenon. It's not something that happens only in Colombia. The rise and decline of several armed groups can be traced with historical distance nowadays. And even the integration to democracy of some of them can be traced. Jose Mujica, the president of Uruguay, over there, uh, was a former member of the guerrilla movement. And Daniel Ortega. The president of Nicaragua was a former leader of the FSL and LN. So which is the situation in Colombia? Well, the war still continues after more than 50 years between three stakeholders, the government with the official army, the guerrilla movements, and paramilitary groups. For more than five decades, the war has had a huge negative impact upon society. According to the Norwegian Refugee Council, there are in Colombia around five, 5.5 million internally displaced persons, which are the ones that have to move out from their homes in order to survive the, from the, to survive the ravages of war. Just bear in mind that in London, that London has 8.3 million inhabitants. So this means that in Colombia, more than half of the population, more than half the population of London have been displaced. Violation to human rights intolerance, corruption, the growth of a drug market worldwide, the state's lack of presence in a great portion of the territory, and its incapability to control the use of force and possession of weapons are some aspects of the, of the conflict that have been shaped in Colombian society throughout these decades. But this situation has started to, to slowly change, as there is now an ongoing business of negotiation between top government officials and FARC members that is taking place in Cuba. Some say that the peace talks are creating false expectations, while others believe that, the peace, uh, th- th- that peace has never been that close. It might be said that these peace talks do have a serious agenda from which a negotiated end of the conflict can be achieved. There were in the past other attempts for, of peace negotiation that failed. The present one seems to be the best opportunity that Colombians have to end the long-lasting war. Different sectors of society are starting re- to reflect upon their role in the post conflict scenario and considerations of, around politics and economics are most uh, are the most active. But peace will never be achieved but peace will never be achieved if the true causes and effects of the war are not analyzed and socialized. For this reason, some cultural institutions are starting to participate more actively in this discussion. For this reason, uh, this can help to build This can help to build the path toward a post-conflict society by reflecting upon the internal armed conflict and explaining clearly its origins and aftermath. Colombians need to grasp these issues in order to avoid the repetition of the atrocities. So one of my case studies is the National Museum of Colombia. Here you have an image of the facade. And the other one is the more recent National Center for Historic Memory. This is an image of the website, and I will explain why it shows. Uh, this image. The research question of my paper is How are the National Museum of Colombia and the National Center for Historic Memory represent, representing the conflict and shaping a collective memory? I put emphasis on representing and shaping because my intention was to study how the nature of the conflict is staged and presented in exhibitions and how the collective memory is being built by these institutions. So I will explain you a bit how I divided my paper, my methodology. First, I study collective memory in itself. Then I, I analyzed the institutions and I found some challenges that they have to face, and finally, I concluded. So let me start first with the collective memory and how this links with museums. The study of memory comes along with several challenges because it is, because it is a broad topic that is studied from an inter, interdisciplinary perspective. There are several researches and papers that analyze memory and that strive to explain all these variants. Variants. When I was uh, doing this research, I stumbled upon terms such as cultural memory, social memory, political memory, and collective instruction. For instance, this last, collective instruction, was used by the writer Susan Sontag in order to address um, a memory that is instructed by a certain authority. But I prefer to use the term collective memory uh, because it because in this case, memory is molded by the, by the interaction between individuals. The father of this concept, the philosopher and sociologist Maurice Halbwachs, explains that memory is highly mediated by the social environment. This means that memory is not crafted in isolation, but is weaved in the interaction with others. Memory is shared. I believe that this term fits, in, fits the current events of the Colombian peace negotiation, because peace will not not be achieved by destroying the enemy, but it will be weaved by interacting with him. So how do museums link with this idea of shared memories? The birth of the museum coincided with the creation of the national states during the 19th century. And these institutions were orchestrated, orchestrated by the new governments with the intention of shaping and educating citizens under specific ideas, values, and memories. Private collections that belonged to the royalty, the clergy, or wealthy members of society were open to the public and exhibited in order to fulfill these previous desires. Culture became a useful tool for governing for governing and exercising new forms of power. Museums then extended such control. A shared idea of the nation and of a right past were evolved around objects, exhibition collections, and exhibitions. Individuals were guided to self recognize in such elements and imagine themselves as part of a, greater, of a bigger social group. This type of approach was only from the 19th century, and this this has changed now. Nowadays, museums that deal with memory, war, and atrocities seek to recover, seek to recover and examine what was forgotten and neglected from dominant narratives. This is something that has become a trend in museum work and museum studies. Museums don't base the narration in objects only, as it was in the 19th century. But rather, they intend to transmit the story behind them. Objects are not entirely relevant just by themselves for what they are. But their value resides on the fact that they serve as evidence of certain events that help to narrate certain issues around stories. Nowadays, museums make revision of the collective memory and try to come up with new narratives. So how this process is taking place in Colombia? Well, let's take first a look at the National Museum. This museum was founded in, 19, in 1923 by the government of Simon Bolivar, Colombia's first president. There were three main reasons behind this institution. First, to study the country's natural resources. Second, to serve as a proof that Colombia was a civilized nation. And third, to consolidate the new republic. Soon, this institution will base its work upon the triad of science, history, and art. Since 1948, a former prison that was built between 1874 and 1878 houses the collection of the museum, building that is commonly addressed as a panoptic. This idea of, of the panoptic was a type of prison that was originally designed by the British philosopher Jeremy Bentham as a circular building where all the cells were visible from a, certain, from a central point, a central post. Uh, this was done to optimize, to optimize control our surveillance. So if you take a quick look, you can see that actually the National Museum of Technology is not a panoptic. I mention this anecdote because it is curious that a prison turned, turned into a national museum of a country where violence has permeated history. The Australian sociologist Tony Bennett argues that the function and power of modern prisons and modern museums, such as these two, run in opposite directions, though they possess parallel histories. The modern prison switched what was before a public punishment into, a, into an enclosed reformation, whereas the modern museum switched what was before a private admiration into a public contemplation. Prisons control inmates by excluding them from liberty whereas museums ordered objects and excluded what didn't fit into their discourses. The National Museum of Colombia doesn't follow these ideas anymore. It is now a museum that seeks to to revise history and strives to bring to the fore what was before neglected. I will give just a brief example of how this happened and how they collected certain certain objects. In 1985, a guerrilla group called M-19 attacked and took control of the Colombia's Justice Palace. The government government of the time reacted fiercely, and the army was instructed to gain control of the palace at any cost. The aftermath of this event was a partially destroyed palace and lots of casualties. Here you can see how the army is entering and attacking and destroying the Justice Palace. In 1998, after 13 years, the National Museum of Colombia requested from the government some objects that showed the scars of the events, with the goal of displaying them in the, for, with the goal of displaying them permanently in the institution. These requested objects were neglected and, neglected and forgotten on the, storage, on the storeroom of the palace after the siege, and no one took care of them. <laughs> the museum somehow wanted to rescue these objects. Some of the objects were given to the museum. But until now, they, they only have made part of temporary exhibitions and, have been, and are not part of the permanent display of the museum. One reason for this is that the true causes and effects of the siege are not clear, so it is difficult to address this event still, still after almost three years. In this slide, you can see some of the objects that were retrieved from, from the palace from the palace, and you can see that there was a fire. The, destroy them entirely. You can also see um, a typewriter that was donated by Jose Antonio Salazar, who was an assistant magist- magistrate of the time. He was not in the siege, uh, but he then went to the palace and picked up his typewriter. And, typewriter. and in 2003, he donated the typewriter to the museum. Other, you can see here the, the typewriter in an exhibition that was called Making Peace in Colombia that focused on the life of Carlos Pizarro, a former guerrilla member that left the rebel groups in order to pursue the peace through democracy. So he <laughs> quitted to the, to the guerrilla movement and he ran from president, but he was murdered in 1990. So this exhibition took place in September, from September 2010 to March 2011, so almost 20 years after <coughs> he was murdered. In this slide, you can see Alfonso Plazas Vega, who was the commander that organized and organized and coordinated the military actions of the palace of the previous image that I showed you. In 2004, he donated the helmet he used during the battle to the museum. But what is curious is that in 2010, he was sentenced to 30 years in prison for enforced disappearance. The army tortured survivors of the siege, both civils and rebels. It can be thought that Plaza donated this helmet by thinking that it was an object that served as a testimony of his efforts to safeguard democracy. But now it is an object that symbolizes the army's excess of power. Here you can see the, the helmet also in the same, in the same ex- exhibition about Pizarro. So now let's talk about the second case study, the National Center for Historic Memory. This is more recent. It was created in 2011 by the government with an intention of focusing specifically on the war. This center has the mandate of designing, creating, and administrating a museum of memory, which has not been built yet. This center is recognized for its researches and publications, such as the Enough is Enough Report, Colombia, Memories of Peace and Dignity, which perhaps is one of the most complex studies about the war in Colombia. There's there's no museum, as I said, but the center has done some exhibitions, and they, strong, they focus strongly on the use on photographs and workshops with the victims. So they work directly with the victims in workshops, and then they exhibit the result of the, of the workshops. In this slide, you can see an exhibition that was called Destiny and Memory. That was part of our, of our research. Uh, that was part of our research of, uh, of the story of the town Trujillo, who was uh, severely attacked by, uh, who, suffered, who suffered from the ravages of war. The, the pictures of these exhibitions were taken by Jesus Abad Colorado, a photographer that works in the center. He photographed people that holding in their hands the portraits of their relatives that were killed during the war. So here you can see some, some of the examples and some students in the exhibition. And these were the kind of images that were exhibited. So it was the victims holding the, the, the images of their lost relatives. Other exhibition that was done by the center was Back in Time to Reconstruct the Future. This consisted of pictures of the people who died in the massacre of El Salado, another Colombian town. The difference between these and the previous is that these photographs belong to the relatives of the victims. This means that the images were not done by professional photographers, but they were part of family albums. However, the originals were kept by the family, so they took pictures of the pictures for the exhibitions. This is another image. It must be said that these exhibitions have been presented in several, several cultural institutions, like libraries and museums, because let re, let's remember that there is no museum still. Besides these publications and exhibitions, the National Center for Historic Memory also has produced several documentaries that narrate the, that narrate, narrate the event of the conflict. It must be said that all this material can be found on the center's website, so that's why I chose to represent, to show them uh, the center with with a website. One relevant aspect of this center that I must point out is that it has no collection of objects that help to narrate the war. The center focuses primarily on the documentation of the events. This documentation can be found on digital exhibitions rather than in a physical building. So after giving a short overview of these two institutions, I would like to address also briefly some of their challenges. One is the race against oblivion, because they both strive to shape a collective memory, but it is, it is inevitable that certain issues will slip from memory. The French scholar Ernest Renan wrote that the essence of a nation is that all individuals have many things in common, and also that, that they have forgotten many things. The challenge is to accept that forgetting is part of the crafting of memory, and that not, and that not everything will fit in the collective memory. This is a very sensitive issue because, as I, as, as I explained, the conflict is still ongoing. And forgetting is seen something as, as something negative or as an irrespective to the victims. Other challenge is based on a, creating a balanced narrative of the conflict because each stakeholders tries to impose their nar- narrative to the others as they consider to have the valid truth Other issue about this aspect is that there are non-official sources that have started to narrate the, the war in ways that are far from reality. The conflict has become a recurrent topic in soap operas, series, and movies, and the events are heavily changed in order to capture more viewers. These don't represent the conflict with objects or images, but they do through fiction. The problem is that these are much more effective than the museums when it comes to represent the conflict and shape a collective memory. So, I mean, people in Colombia don't go to the museum. They, they watch the soap operas. So this is what they receive, and this is how they represent the conflict. So museums have the challenge to create more engaging ways of addressing that internal art conflict. The last challenge that I identified concerns the collections. What to collect for a war that is no op- not over? What objects should be kept? These are issues that perhaps can be answered with an historical distance, but perhaps the fact that the war is not over is an opportunity to start collecting objects that otherwise could be lost in time. with time. I would like to wrap up my presentation with a, a short conclusion. The National Museum of Colombia represents the conflict through objects, and it is shaping a collective memory based on the stories of important figures of Colombian history. It is true that this museum doesn't have the mandate of addressing the conflict in itself. Rather, it strives to narrate different cultural processes that take place in Colombia. However, the conflict is part of those cultural processes, of those of these cultural processes. So for this reason, the museum has analyzed this issue. The war is part of of the national narrative. The other center, the National Center of Historic Memory, on the contrary, has the exclusive task of analyzing the conflict. The center has no collection of objects at all, and the museum that it, should, that it should design and create is not a reality yet. Photography is strongly used by this center in its exhibition to represent the conflict, and it uses digital tools to share the content. The collective memory that this center is shaping is, ba- is based on the victim's side, not on important personalities or political martyrs. The ce- this center seeks to work with the communities and document their stories with the idea that this will help to avoid the worst atrocities in the future. They are bringing up to the fore experiences and life stories that were completely neglected and and ignored. But the crucial point of this is that both both approaches are providing a better understanding of a war that is still continuous. Thank you very much.